Let's stand together and honor the word of God as we read this morning's text. Um, Again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor of those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. You may be seated. Hope y'all are doing well. Um, I'm pumped up and excited to be able to preach this morning. Um, I mean, every Sunday, but for some reason, I feel it even more this morning. So I want to, uh, I want to pray, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Um, we just read it, so hopefully you're <clears throat> there. So let me, uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your word. I pray that this morning you would use your word to show us um, where we need to trust you, where we need to give over places of our lives to you where we're not trusting, where we're holding on to residual sin in our life. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray that you would convict my heart this morning of anything that I'm holding on to. And I pray for us all that you would do the same. That all of my friends here, uh, if there's places in their lives that they're not willing to hand over to King Jesus and trust him, that they would, Lord. Be with us now as we look into your word. I pray that it would not return void, um, but would do the work that you said it, it would do and promised that it would do. Train us in righteousness, convict us of our sin, teach us about Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today um, is going to be interesting because uh, just to give you a little bit of a heads up on, on what we're looking at, Matthew chapter 12 is this is the best way I can describe it. It's, I think, very, for me at least, just for me, very difficult to preach. Very easy to teach. What in the world does that mean, Fudd? Um, this is what I mean. I can, I can explain to you 12 uh, chapters, tw- chapter 12, 1 through 14, what's going on. And I can explain to you about Pharisees and what Pharisees think about the Sabbath. And at the very end, after we've gone through the exercise, you've understood how the Pharisees feel about the Sabbath. Um, but that's just teaching. 
That's not preaching. And so my goal here is not that at the end we would have all kind of gone through a 14 verse exercise where we know and understand how Jesus kind of combats the Pharisees. And we see how he questions and answers. And we know that Jesus is the one who's the Lord of the Sabbath. And he knows how to answer questions about the Sabbath because that's that's just teaching. That's not preaching. So preaching means that we also, as we're looking at information that we're thinking about ourselves and how this particular thing applies to us as well and how we may or may not be hoping in the gospel and how we may need to believe the gospel even more deeply. And so the reason why I think that's tough specifically for this is because um, I'm thinking that very few of you walked in this morning really struggling with keeping the Sabbath and looking out for people that aren't keeping the Sabbath and you're kind of yelling at them about it. Um, And really, that's for us where we have to go. Like the whole point as we're going through, the big idea for us is, um, as Matthew's writing, is Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath And Jesus is the one who tells us how to keep the Sabbath. That's kind of the big idea for us. But I think the way that we're going to apply it for us today, the way that it's going to become not just a teaching time, but a preaching time, is what I want all of us to do is watch the Pharisees. And specifically, as we're watching the Pharisees, I want you to watch the position of their hearts and how they think and react to Jesus. And and what's going to happen is, hopefully, we're all going to, as we look at the Pharisees, do some self-reflection... Now, I'm going to go ahead and say up front that you might not be as bad as the Pharisees Um, externally. You might not be as bad as the Pharisees. But internally, we all are Pharisees. And hopefully, as we get towards the end, um, the Holy Spirit will be gracious to us and show us places where in our heart we are Pharisees and that we're holding on to and that we would be willing to give over. So that's my challenge today. All right. And it's. This is, I'm going to go ahead and say, this is difficult. This is a hard one for me. So we're looking at a, a very interesting text where 12, through, uh, 12 1 through 14, um, the whole point is these kind of Sabbath conflicts that Jesus has with Pharisees. All right, so the Pharisees are the religious leaders at the time. They kept all the external laws. They had very hard hearts. They weren't big fans of Jesus. And he has a couple conflicts with them. Um, the big idea is... Uh, and I think it's on the, the first screen here. Mercy before law keeping. Mercy before law keeping. God wants us to look at the illustration, the example of Jesus, and to be merciful and loving towards people. All right, so let's look at this. Um, and hopefully the Lord will be kind. And I'll, by the power of the Spirit, um, be able to preach and not just teach. Um, I've got a friend that whenever I preach, sometimes he tells me good luck and break a leg. He's being funny. Um, and I always think that's hilarious. And I always say, yeah, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit would be in it too. Um, so that's what we really want. Um, so it's a joke. Anyway, I want us to remember, um, I'm not very good at jokes. And so just forgive my awkwardness. Um, so here's the deal. We're going into 12 one, but remember that as Matthew wrote the New Testament 2000 years ago. Um, He didn't start, you know, he didn't put a big 12 and then put a colon and write one and then start writing. This was actually written without verses and out without chapter divisions. And so he's intentionally placing these next two um, conversations with people right on the heels of 1128 through 30. So I want to make sure if you weren't here last week, you know what happened in 1128 through 30. So you can see why Matthew places these two particular um, instances right after. Look at 28 through 30. This is the 
just amazing, great gospel invitation where Jesus is an extending an invitation to people who are oppressed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, do this, do this, do this. And oppressing all the people thinking they had to do things in order to have a right, right relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is like, that's not the gospel. That's not how to have a right relationship. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here's how to know God. And he says it in 28. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. So if you're trying to earn relationship um, through works with God, he's saying, forget works, forget being heavy laden. Just come to me. Take and it says who if you're uh, who are laboring, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this rest that he's giving is this final, decisive, eternal rest. In other words, if you come and you receive the forgiveness of Jesus that he did for you when he died on the cross for your sins and you put your faith in his work, you receive final decisive rest. Justification is the theological word. It just means God declares you right now, not 20 years from now when you're walking with Jesus even more closely, but right now in this moment, you are completely forgiven and that will never change. And he says, I'm offering you notice rest. Remember, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath. And then after he offers that in 28, the rest of this great gospel invitation is not just come be declared righteous, but not just come, but take. And he says, take my yoke upon you, take this yoke and put it on you. In other words, he explains that when he says, learn from me, enter into the school of Jesus. I said that last week and I know it tickled some people. Um, it's enter into the school of Jesus. And when he says, uh, the Jesus is the teacher and Jesus is the lesson. I'm going to teach you all about me. That's what Jesus is saying. So this is, and there's a promise after that. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly, for you will find rest. So a second promise of rest. And the second promise of rest, where you're going through this, he's saying, don't just come and get justified. Don't just come and get declared righteous, but also enter into an ongoing relationship, an ongoing pursuit of holiness and ongoing. The theological word is sanctification. And that also in this life, your promised rest. So your promised final decisive rest. And even in this life now, promised rest from trying to earn. And we all experience that where we try to earn. We think I got to do, I got to do, and I got to do in order to finally be right with God. And he's saying rest is offered. Now on the heels of Jesus offering this great gospel invitation of rest. Matthew's wanting us to see this conversation of the Sabbath. And we know what the Sabbath is. And in Genesis chapter one, God created for six days. And on the final day, he rested on the Sabbath is just the day that he rested the seventh day. And so from that day, um, we know that that day is considered holy and that we're supposed to rest on the seventh day. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus um, is wanting to engage with the Pharisees in regard to their um, misunderstanding of the Sabbath. OK, so I think this is really awesome. There's 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 two little two little stories. One's in the grain field and one's in the synagogue. So the first one is at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields. Now, Jesus is intentionally going through the grain fields. And he, he wants to go through the grain fields because he's ready for the Pharisees to, you know, blow their tops. And it says he goes through the grain field on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat it. And we're thinking 
those disciples are just filthy thieves. They're just stealing people's stuff. Actually, they're not. There was an allowance in Deuteronomy 23, 25. I know you all have that verse memorized um, where it says that when you're walking through uh, grain fields or even um, grape vineyards, that you're allowed to take anything you want as long as and eat it as long as you don't put it in a basket. Put it in a basket, then you're stealing. But if you just stand there all day, and it's kind of like when you go to the buffet and you eat all day, um, you can do that, and it's not a sin. Um, and that's the same idea here. Now, interestingly enough, we're seeing this. But when the Pharisees saw it, when the Pharisees saw it, now this is interesting. Um, all right, let me let me take one little caveat. I didn't do this in the first in the first. Uh, service. I don't know why, but I wanted to, and I just didn't. But I'm going to this today. Last last night I, or yesterday during the day, I watched uh, Whitney Houston's funeral. Um, I don't know if any of you watched it, and I was tracking with the finally, like after four hours, we finally got to the sermon, and I was tracking with it, and I was feeling good, and all of a sudden, the pastor holds out the prosperity gospel, and I just get deflated, I just get this, just ah, oh, and I'm like, how can he preach that? And he goes, he actually said something like, there's no other gospel but the prosperity gospel. God wants you to be wealthy, and I just think, all right, if that's the case, let's just at least just look at one verse today, our first verse. Jesus lets his disciples get hungry. The man who can feed multitudes allows his own to be poor their entire life and have to eat food off trees. So it's just, that's my side note. There's the prosperity gospel is so wretchedly wrong back to the text. All right. So here's the deal. But when the Pharisees saw it, so this is interesting, right? The the disciples are walking through, they see, um, the heads of grain, they pluck it off, they, they rub it, they blow the shaft, they eat it. And the, the Pharisees are like, uh, they're kind of like, they're crazy. They're following them around. It's like they're waiting. Wait, they're, wonder what they're going to do. We got to know they're hungry. And all of a sudden, oh, there they did. They ate it. Look at them and they go crazy. Now, the, <clears throat> the Pharisees had on the Sabbath a walking rule. You're only allowed to walk so far on the Sabbath. And if you walk past that, I mean, they are pushing the limits of their own walking rule, trying to find the, these disciples of Jesus to sin. So they they're obviously mad at them, probably about their walking rule. They, they get mad at them about plucking this heads of grain and they freak out. And so the way that we're going to look at these two sections is this. Both sections have questions about the Sabbath. The first section, which is one through eight, Jesus answers that first question with three different answers. And the second question, which is in uh, verse 10, Jesus answers that question with two answers. So question three answers, question two answers. And all this is having to do about the Sabbath. And Jesus is answering. Now, here's what I want us to remember in the back of our minds as we're looking through this text. Don't just get t- tangled up and lost in the discussion on the Sabbath. Because, as I said, I don't think any of you walked in here thinking about trying to break the Sabbath. <clears throat> but what I want us all to think about is the posture of the hearts, the hard heartness of the hearts of the Pharisees. And then in the end, we're going to examine their hearts and examine ours. All right. So it says the Pharisees are freaking out. You know, they're all mad at the disciples um, because the rule was you're not supposed to do any work to prepare food. And they did, they said, look at them. They, they plucked it. They, they harvested it. They blew the shaft off and then they ate it. They did all that work in their one hand. You're not supposed to do that. These, they sinned. And so they, they have a question here and he goes, look, your disciples, look at what your disciples, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now that doesn't seem like a question, um, but it is because they're really trying to make some accusations towards Jesus. Um, And so Jesus is going to answer them 
And like I said, he's going to give three different answers. Answer one is in verse three and four. Answer two is in verse five and six. Answer three is in verse seven and eight. So let's kind of run through the answers and see. Uh, They're saying your disciples are breaking the Sabbath laws. Jesus, answer one. And he he starts off with a, a, a huge right hook here. He says, he said to them, have you not read that? That's a bit of a jab. Um, the Pharisees were well acquainted with the scriptures so much so they'll they're going to put us to shame as far as memorization of the script of scripture goes. Um, they memorize way more than we ever will. And he says, have you not read? Of course they've read. So a little bit of a jab on their on their misunderstandings. And he said what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him. All right, let's take a little step back. Um, he's pointing, gives him a little jab and says, remember what David did whenever uh, the people that were with him. And whenever they were hungry, and look at it says in verse 4, he's going to explain to us what David did. What did David do? Let's look at verse 4. How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for, the, for those who were with him, but only for the priests. De, uh, Jesus is referring to uh, a text in 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David goes into um, where the priest is, Ahimelech's the priest. Basically, there was a law that says um, no one can eat this bread, this special bread of presence, except for the priests. So David is running away from Saul. King Saul is trying to kill him. Um, he he goes up into the <clears throat> the synagogue and he says to uh, he says to uh, Ahimelech, he goes, "Hey, I'm on a special mission from Saul, and um, Saul sent me here, and I need to I need for you to give me some bread. The, the, the special mission from Saul is actually a lie, but don't get tied down on the lie. Okay, just I just that's for for free. But um, he says he says to him, I need me and my companions are hungry and we need some bread. Could you give us some bread? And uh, the priest says, Well, you know, I don't have any common bread here. All I have is the bread of presence. Uh, you're commoners. You're not a priest. Only priests can eat the the bread of presence. You can't. And David's like, Well, um, I. Let's go ahead and do it anyway. Me and my companions were about to starve. And so what we learn from this, Ahimelech actually gives him the bread of presence. And what we see is this a little principle starts being held out. Mercy for people's lives. It's triumphing law keeping. Now, here's the thing you need to know about the Old Testament in first Samuel 21. There's nothing in the narrative that says anything that Dave, what happened in that whole situation was wrong. It never says Ahimelech did what was wrong. Never. So Jesus is pointing these Pharisees back and he's saying, remember in the Old Testament? Remember the story? Nothing was ever said that what he did was wrong. Now, here's where it gets good. This is where it gets awesome. And he he says, um, if David and his companions had regulations set aside, well, Jesus claims always to be the truer and better David, the, the king. If David and his companions have regulations set aside, well, then surely Jesus and his companions, the true and better David and his companions, Jesus, can have regulations set aside. Implicit messianic um, things there, too. And, and meaning Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. He, he's not just saying I'm the Messiah, but by comparing himself to David and said, because his companions had a law set aside and I have a law set aside, then obviously Jesus is claiming that he's the Messiah of the Old Testament. So so that's the first thing he says to him when he says, um, there's your answer. Uh, if if laws can be set aside for David, laws can be set aside for me. So, no, we're not breaking any Sabbath day laws. But he wants to talk to him a little bit more. And so he goes into verse five. He gives him another little jab, the Pharisees. Or have you not read another like Little stab, which is good. He's going to give him the uppercut in just a second in verse 7. Um, have you not read in the law? How, no, I'm just going to go ahead and say, 
Verses 5 and 6 are hard to understand, and I'm pretty, I'm not great at explaining it. That's just the way I can say it, all right? I struggled during first service. Most people are like, what? But um, I'm going to do my best. I said it once, so hopefully I can do it better. Um, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? All right, here's the, what's going on. He's referring to Numbers 28, 9 and 10. Um, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work. Priests aren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Everybody's supposed to rest. But there's another text in Numbers 28, 9 through 10 that says priests, even though you're supposed to work, we want you to offer sacrifices on the Sabbath, the Sabbath day sacrifices. Well, if they do that, if they go and they offer Sabbath day sacrifices, they're breaking that first law that says don't work. But there's another law that says you can do it. So they're not breaking that law because they're obeying this one. So this one kind of shields them from breaking that law. Does that make sense? I know that's insane, confusing. And thanks, Jesus, for using this one. Um, that's how I feel. But um, and so he says, if that's the case in verse six, he's going to he's going to make the whole point. How in the world? Do, what does verse five mean? And how does that explain Jesus? Well, Jesus is going to use verse six to explain verse five when he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. So if we're going to understand it, we have to understand what's the something greater. If we can understand what's the something greater than the temple, then we have the answer. And hopefully we can get close to understanding that um, what's taking precedence over the Sabbath law. Well, the answer about what's greater, which we've been Matthew's been unfolding to us the entire time is Jesus and his kingdom. That's what's greater than the temple. And so if Jesus and his kingdom take precedence over the Sabbath, which is the whole point that Jesus was trying to say, this is kind of a step back, but in Matthew five seventeen, he says things like the law says this, but I say this. I know this is what it says, but I'm Jesus and I'm greater than the law. And so I can I can kind of explain it to you if um, Jesus and his t- kingdom take precedence over the Sabbath or the law, then we can understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and that he um, has the right to interpret the Sabbath commandments, whichever way he wants. I'll explain it to you this way. All right. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, Jesus' authority is huge. So here the priests stand doing that Sabbath day, um, Sabbath day offering. And you would think, here comes guilt. Guilt saying you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but you're working on the Sabbath. And the thing that shields them from the guilt and says that they're innocent is the, the authority of the temple and those laws that were created. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, with that illustration, here's the explanation for today. Here's the disciples, they're eating, and here's the guilt coming for them eating. But in the same way that the authority of the temple shielded them, now the authority of Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying, the authority of me shields them. So all this guilt's coming, but I am shielding them from, from the disciples being guilty because, here's why, here's why. Because Jesus is going to tell us in a, in a couple of verses later, that in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And if the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, then what he's doing is he's claiming the right and authority to handle any Sabbath day law the way that he wants to do so. He's saying, I'm, I, I created the Sabbath. 
I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and I can interpret the laws of the Sabbath the way that I want to. And it's always going to be right because he's Jesus and he's God. Now, I know we're getting way down in the mire. We're getting way down in that deep. And I think some of y'all are about to like mentally check out. So don't um, because we're about to get to the uppercut. And I want you to see it in verse seven. He just said in three and five, have you not read? Have you not read? And then verse seven, he comes in with this huge punch and he says, and if you had known what this means. So he questions their ability to read. But in this one, he actually questions their ability to even interpret the scriptures that they memorize. You can't even understand it. Had you understood, this is answer three, because had you understood what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, pointing out the disciples saying they're guiltless. You're condemning them. You're wrong. You have the wrong amount of information. Not me. Now, it's a little question, a little thing to kind of point out about the Pharisees. They're following Jesus around, trying to point out things that are wrong. And these people that do that, I mean, they're just the pits, right? I mean, they're just the worst to kind of be around. They follow you around. They show you where you messed up, how you messed up. And of course, how they could have done it better. Um, and we, I'm just saying, don't be that kind of person that has to follow them around. But Jesus and, and they're throwing out condemnation inaccurately. I mean, they're not even guilty and they're throwing out condemnation. So a lot of times you might be around these people. They're condemning you for the things that you do. And it's not even accurate, but you might let it land on you and you might feel it. And it's not even accurate. Maybe sometimes it is, but um, you should you should not let that bother you, especially when it comes from the pharisaical kind of people. But they're throwing out guilt here. And Jesus says, uh, if you knew what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you knew what this means, then you would have not condemned the guilt, the guilty. So what he's looking at, these hard hearted people, he's saying to them, Pharisees. Why won't you just be merciful? You love the law so much. You let that dictate how you interact with people. It's about being merciful towards people. And uh, interestingly enough, this is the second time Jesus quotes this exact verse. He quoted it to him back in Matthew 9, 13, and he has to do it again because they just can't get it. They can't understand that the point is people, but they are so adherent to law that they love it more than people. And they throw out um, condemnations on people that are actually inaccurate condemnations. They were so, the Pharisees were so blind that into the Sabbath. Now we're talking about they miss, they love the law, but particularly with the Sabbath, they were so blind about the intent of the Sabbath. They missed it completely. The intent of the Sabbath was to give us rest. It's not supposed to be a burden like, oh, it's the Sabbath. I got to follow these rules. This is an even harder day than the others. The point of the Sabbath was God giving it to you so you can just rest. Have an easy day. It's supposed to be a good day, which every one of you should Sabbath. If you work hard all seven days a week, you're out of line with the way God created things to be. You need to have a day of rest. I mean, obviously, Sunday is the most preferred day. Um, You're worshiping. It's a day where you just commune with Jesus in a much deeper way all day. And I would recommend Sunday being your day of Sabbath, all of you. Um, For some of you, can't. it can't be Sunday. Like, it's hard for me to rest on Sunday. Um, so I try to make Friday my Sabbath, but all of you need to have a day where you work and you rest, you work and you rest. And so it's supposed to be a gift 
where we're supposed to have rest and well-being. And these Pharisees were putting this day of rest on the shoulders of the people and making it a burden. And that was never the, the, the goal of what it's supposed to be. So just to kind of summarize one through eight, which I know you're all like, thank the Lord, because I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> Give me a summary. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> necessary works on the Sabbath are not against the law. Like they ate and he tells them it's not work to eat. It's, it's not a sin to eat um, or. Pious works on the Sabbath are not against the law. You, worship is not breaking the law. On the Sabbath. That's what God designed. The the way the Sabbath is supposed to be. Not just don't, don't, don't. But do rest. Do good. um, Which we're going to see in the next one. Merciful works are not against the law on the Sabbath. I'm very thankful that hospitals are open on Sunday. And people are mercifully taking care of people on Sundays. So if my kids get over the top sick, I can, you know, have them there to care for my kids. So, um... You know, I don't want to get down in the minutia of what's acceptable on the Sabbath. But um, there's Jesus saying, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming the right and the authority to handle any Sabbath law any way he wills. Now, remember, I'm wanting you to watch the Pharisees. They're following him around. That's what they're doing. They're, they're trying to be tricky and sneaky and follow around. Intentions are clear that they're not just following around to, uh, you know, hang out with the disciples. They're trying to immediately, oh, look, sinners, you're eating, you're working, you're harvesting the grain. <laughs> that's harvesting to them. Um, and so we're going to go into, I know that's geek funny, but I think it's funny. Verse 9. Um, and then in verse 9, we're going to see the second little thing here. And again, we're going to have a question and two answers here. Um, verse 9 says, he went on from there and he entered their synagogue. Now, it makes it sound like for us, as we're going on, that this is kind of the same Sabbath. But Luke 6, 6, which is a parallel passage. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of tell these same stories. Luke 6, 6 um, makes us think that this is actually another Sabbath, not the same Sabbath. Now, that doesn't mean that Matthew's like missed it. But just remember, Matthew's writing in a way where he's trying to make a point. The point he's trying to make is the Sabbath. And so that's why he ends it on rest in 11. And he's talking to us about the Sabbath here, these two interactions um, on the Sabbath. And that's why he goes, went on from there. And Matthew's not saying it was the same day. He's just remembering that story because he wrote significantly later than when it happened. And he's trying to make a point about the Sabbath. That's just good, you know, use parallel passages to explain those things. So Matthew's putting them there. Now, this one's different. This section, 9 through 14, is different than 1 through 8. 1 through 8, the Sabbath question comes from Jesus' disciples doing something. 9 through 14 comes from Jesus doing something. Jesus' activity is that question now. He's going to do a healing, which we've read. It says, they went on from there and they entered the synagogue. Um, Just, again, a great example that Jesus keeps the synagogue, the the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue and worships. Um, Great example for us. I mean... He's Jesus. What did he have to learn that day? Right. But he still he still goes. He still worships. He still participates in the life of the Sabbath. Um, And it says, and a man was there with a withered hand and they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So now we're seeing the posture even a little bit more sharp. They're following him around looking for stuff. Now they're just wanting to accuse. And so they see this man who's got a withered hand. One of his hands isn't working and they look at him and all they I mean, for all we know, they might have brought him there. We don't know. Um, But they say to Jesus, pointing at this man with this withered hand, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, 
I just think the most amazing thing is this. This has got to be the most amazing disregard of love. <laughs> like they're talking about him right here. And like, how about this man? They, they, everybody knows they, that they don't want his hand to be healed. Like, how about this man? We know you can't hail him. Ha ha. Your hand's got to be crippled another day. This is kind of like what it is. I mean, it's just amazing disregard for this man. He obviously means nothing to the Pharisees. He's just a, a, a puppet playing in their little play so that they can find a reason to accuse Jesus. Just amazing, amazing um, how they don't have mercy and not following what he just said. If you know what this means, I desire mercy over sacrifice. Stop being hard hearted and have mercy on people, you know. So here here comes the question so that they might accuse him. Well, Jesus is going to give two answers here. Um, the answers are in 11 and 12 and then 13. 11 and 12 is answer one. Answer two is an answer th- is in verse 13. And so Jesus um, he loves giving animal questions uh, to explain it. This is the third time you remember in chapter six and ten. He gives us bird questions. Here's a sheep question. Um, and he says, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, if you know me intimately, you're probably thinking, well, Fudd wouldn't. He's an animal hater. Um, I'm not actually an animal hater. I like animals. I like you to have animals. I just don't want them myself. I'm not like, I even stop for the suicide squirrels when they run across the road. I like stop. Even this morning, I stopped for one. I did have one mishap last month where I ran over one. It's not confession. It's just actually happened. I tried to stop and he just was crazy. Um, But (laughs) the point is, is that Jesus is using like sheep here. And he's saying, all right, if you look at creation, you have the six days of creation and rest. And then we see where God creates the animals. And then we know on day six was the crowning day of creation. It, when he created man, that's when he created man. We see that man was the pinnacle of creation that because it, it actually says man was created in the image of God. I mean, the, all the other animals before that did not have that. They were all created and it was good. Man's created on day six and it said it was very good. So man is the most important part of creation because we are image bearers of God. Animals are not. Now, animals are still important. I enjoy Genesis 9-3's um, thing that says, kill them and eat them. I mean, that's, that's, they're good for us. We get to eat them. But if you're not like that. But the point is this, that Jesus is trying to say animals still have value. They still have not as much as man, but they have value. So who's going to be the hard hearted guy that walks up to the hole and looks at the sheep in the hole and goes, ha ha. Sorry. Hope it's fine. I can't help you today. It's the Sabbath. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow and you'll still be there. I mean, if it's a cat, that's one thing. But we're talking about a sheep here. And he says, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I went and throw a cat in a hole. Um, so he says, if you look at the sheep, I got to calm down. If you look at the sheep and he says he's in a hole. Who of you is going to just leave this sheep? And he's looking at him. And the implicit question is this. The implicit question is, none of you Pharisees are going to do that. None of you are going to do that. Look what he says in, in 12. Of how, and this is the same argument he makes when he talks about the birds. Because God, I take, God says, I take care of birds. How much more important are you man than birds? Far more important. So he said, if, if on the Sabbath you would take care of a sheep... How much more important is a man? So much more important. Flash forward back up there. Have mercy over sacrifice. And so he looks at him because here's the little law that the Pharisees were struggling with. They had this law that said you can only help a man if his life is in danger on the Sabbath. If his life isn't in danger, you don't have to help him. 
As a matter of fact, you shouldn't help him. So he's got a hurt hand. His life's not in danger. Clearly, it can happen the next day. So there, the Pharisees are going on with this ethic that if someone's life is in danger, the healing should wait to the next day. Jesus's view of the Sabbath is it's a whole, whole different ethic, which is it's the Sabbath. It's a day to do good. Do good on the Sabbath. Unlike the Pharisees, the Sabbath isn't a day for evil where you're the Pharisees, where you follow around trying to find people that you can accuse sin of them. You're looking for bad intentions. You obviously want to accuse them for sin. And then even on the Sabbath, it tells us in 14, I'm sure this is not allowed on the on the Sabbath, but they still wouldn't say they did it wrong. But I'm sure God doesn't want us to conspire and destroy people on the Sabbath or any day. But the Pharisees are kind of breaking that that Sabbath law whenever they're ready to try to kill Jesus. Um, but they wouldn't say they've sinned there kind of major hypocrites. So he says to them, if an animal's in a hole, certainly man is of more value. And so of course we should help this man because my Jesus saying my ethic is do good, not, well, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this. And so Jesus went to the synagogue to do good. The Pharisees went to the synagogue not to worship, but to indulge deeper in their bigotry. And then we see in 13, it says, um, Jesus answers. Let me just say it this way. Question was, how about this man? Can you heal him? He gives an answer with words. And now answer two is action. Jesus, he answers him with the words. And now he just answers with action. He looks at this man. And he says to him, says to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretches out his hand. And when he stretched it out, it says Jesus restored it healthy like the other. Restored it healthy like the other. Interestingly enough, in another parallel passage in Mark, um, Jesus, Mark tells us that when Jesus looked at the Pharisees, whenever he was going to heal this man, he looked at the Pharisees and it says of Jesus that he was angered and grieved at their hardness of heart. They were so angry. He was so angered and grieved at their hardness of heart that they didn't want a man to be healed, to be made whole and restored because it was the Sabbath. And remember, Jesus is operating on a different ethic. You can do good on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, they were not doing this. They thought um, law is more important than mercy. Law is more important than than people. And Jesus is saying, in the way that I restored this man's hand and made it whole on the Sabbath, all men that know Jesus and trust in him um, can be made whole with their life. The same way he restores this man's hand, they can be made whole their entire life. They can be forgiven of all their sin. The act of mercy of God, which is the cross, is sufficient to make every single one of us whole and be restored into a right relationship with him. Now, 1214 is a turning point for the Pharisees. Up until this time, they're wanting to follow around and accuse. 1214 is Matthew's turning point of the Pharisees where... Now it's time to kill. You see right there, it says in 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And the rest of the gospel now is not falling around for accusation, but now is we're ready to kill this man. And we see that they do when they get towards the end of Matthew. We see that they do, but it was always, of course, Jesus's plan. So 
the transition of the Pharisees is following around, looking for sin, to accusations, which we see in chapter 10, to now conspiring to destroy. That's the progression of the hard heartness of the Pharisee. And at first blush, when we look at it, um, now we understand 14 verses. And I've taught you, but I hopefully um, am going to, by the power of the Spirit, not myself, help us all apply this. This is where I'm praying that the preaching aspect comes in. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us would say, yes and amen, I agree, if you're, especially if you're a believer, I'm born a sinner. If you don't think that, I mean, just have you sinned at all today? Have you sinned at all last week? Have you lied at all? Have you stolen anything? Have you had wrong thoughts? Obviously, I think we can all say I'm a sinner. And we would all say, yes, I believe that I am a sinner. But not only are we all sinners, born sinners, but every single one of us in some way are also born Pharisees. Every single one of us, whether we want to look at that and say, well, not like that, but in some way we are born Pharisees, meaning Every single one of us at some time are going to explain away sin. The big, huge ones will say yes. But the other things that we know we have in our life, we know that are displeasing to God will say, yeah, I know do that. But, it, but here's the deal. I got to explain. Um, it's OK that I do that because and you keep going or you try to redefine sin. Well, I know that the Bible says that might be sin, but I'm going to redefine it because actually when I think about the, I was, that's that's Pharisee. And every single one of us are born that way. Every single one of us will, with something in our lives, explain away or redefine sin. And if that's the case, I think that what we need to hear is Jesus saying, back up to verse 7. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless. Now, he's talking to the Pharisees there, but every one of us in our heart of heart and our Pharisees need to understand what's going on here. When he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting Hosea 6, 6. This is the second time, as I've said, that he's quoting it. Um, And what's going on here is this. At the time, people were so sure that what they were doing and the way that they were acting was what gave them a right relationship with Jesus. And most of us are not are going to say, no, 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 I'm not that way. I believe in Jesus's final work on the cross. But here's the deal. Um, there are still sins in your life that you're rationalizing and explaining away. And when you're rationalizing and explaining away those sins and trying to cover them up and keep them hidden and not talk about them, not confess them, not move past them, you are still, as a Pharisee, saying, I believe in the forgiveness But these sins, I am not going to let go. I am not going to deal with. I am not going to confess. I'm going to hide these things. I'm going to explain away these things. Every single one of us have them. And he's saying, you need to desire mercy, not sacrifice. You need to desire mercy, not... Let me explain it this way. God, what's going on in there is that these Old Testament saints, these Pharisees, were not participating in um, the covenant with Jesus the way that they that Jesus designed it. He wanted them to participate deeply with him. And the same thing is for us. God wants you and me 
to participate with him in this New Testament covenant of complete forgiveness, all shame and sin completely washed away as deep as we possibly can. Not a a tacit, half-hearted participation, but a full-on participation with him. Um, This is kind of the equivalent. If If we're just tacitly participating in this covenant with Jesus and not a full-on participation. It's kind of like just doing the ceremonies of church, but not having a heart in it. Um, It's the equivalent of thinking, I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian, but this real depth that God's inviting me into this new covenant with Jesus, this vibrant participation of ongoing confession and repentance, I don't want to participate in that. I want to have... Final forgiveness, I like that, but the ongoing part of um, participating in depth with Jesus, the depths of the covenant, to really have real deep communion with Jesus, I'm not really interested in that. I'll go to the things of the church, I'll be in that, but the the hard parts, the deep parts, the the, the hidden parts that I don't like anybody to see in my life, I'm not going to deal with those. I'm going to put on the mask, I'm going to act like everything's okay, I'm not going to confess those things because I want to have forgiveness, but I don't want to have this deep communion with Jesus, this deep participation in the gospel, the covenant with Jesus, because I am so ashamed of these other things that I can't, I can't, I can't um, confess those. I can't deal with those. I like the forgiveness. I like the heaven, but I don't want to deal with the deep parts. And what's happening is you're not experiencing, and this might not describe you, but I'm, I'm thinking it might. Do you have any parts in your walk when you're walking with Jesus where you're just like, I don't understand why. I don't experience these deep communion and vibrancy and intimacy with Jesus. I I want to, but I I just don't. Sometimes I do. Most of the times I don't. Half I do, half I don't. It's because Jesus is inviting you into this deep covenant with him. And he's not just wanting mere church attendance or community group attendance, but he's desiring you. He's desiring your heart. He's desiring for you to take off the mask of all the struggles of your sin and say, this is everything. I need for you to come and cleanse every single part of it. You might be, if you're not experiencing deep walk with him, deep vibrancy, you might be approaching God just like the Pharisees. In the Old Testament Israel, where you have a hard heart and you're not really wanting him. He wants your heart, not your Christianic motions, but he wants your heart. He wants you to experience the depths of the New Testament covenant of everything that the cross gives. Let me explain it this way. The cross has completely taken care of all the embarrassment and guilt and shame That you think you have for dealing with your sin. Every single one of you might have this sin right now. And you're like I can't. I can't confess that to my husband. I can't confess that to my wife. I can't confess that to my kids. I experience. I, I appreciate kind of the the big overall forgiveness, and I can speak in generalities. I'm gra- I'm glad. God, thanks for forgiving me of my sin. But these individual, ongoing, willing sin right now in my life, I'm not willing to deal with those. And so you're not experiencing depth of communion. And it's, it's not God, but here's why. Because you think if I deal with those things, the embarrassment, the shame, the pain, the confession of those things, that's more than I can handle. 
I can't. That's too much. Can I just submit one huge truth? We're talking about God. I mean, God. I, I can see that, that you can make that case if it was me. I can't bear the shame or the embarrassment of confessing it to a person. But we're talking about God. You can easily confess all the embarrassing, all the shame, because Jesus has died on the cross and bore not just your sin, but all the guilt and shame for that too. And you don't have to stand in front of your spouse feeling shameful and, and embarrassed because he's covered all that as well. Let me, let me, let me read it this way. This is a quote from Hosea 6, 6. And Hosea 6, 1 through 3, Jesus, through the gospel right of Hosea, God is inviting Israel in. And this is how he says it. This is how he says it. I think this is a great conclusion for us. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. Now, here's key. Listen to this. For he has torn us that he may heal us. Tearing hurts. These confessions of sin that I'm talking about, the the embarrassing depths, not these overall generalities, but the, the sin that you know that you really need to deal with and confess in order to have this deep, vibrant communion where you finally experience, I don't even care about shame anymore. All that was put on Jesus. I want to know Christ intimately. Well, it's going to tear and it's going to hurt. Finally coming out with your sin is not supposed to be something that's joyous and painless. But don't miss this. He has torn us that he may heal us. You have to go through the tearing and the, and the pain in order to finally feel the healing. He says it another way. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. We have this this. Feeling of pain with the confession where we finally take off the mask and we say, this is who I really am. I want this depth of relationship with Jesus. And that happens that he may bind us up. And then there's a turn in Hosea because this is Old Testament where he starts making some prophecies about Jesus. And he says, after two days, he will revive us on the third day. He will raise us up, meaning in the same way that Jesus on the cross on the third day defeated Satan, sin and death, not just by dying, but the resurrection All Satan's sin and death was defeated. It was defeated for you on your behalf. All that shame, all that guilt, all that embarrassment you feel was completely defeated by Jesus. Satan's sin and death was completely gone. And on the third day, when Jesus was raised up, if you're in Christ, you too have been raised up. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be ashamed about. We're talking about God. Whatever you're dealing with. We're talking about God forgiving it. And then it says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And this is the invitation he's holding out to you. To know him. You want to talk about rest, Pharisees. Stop trying to work. Or for us, stop Holding on, keeping the mask on. Jesus is saying, be open and honest. The gospel is big enough for whatever you're struggling with. You are completely forgiven. And not only that, he tells you, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's going to hurt. It's going to be terrible. I'm going to be embarrassed. And he's saying, rest. It might hurt, but you're going to be healed and rest. And every single one of us, if you're honest, wants that. There's not a person in here who's in sin that doesn't say, I don't want the rest. We might say, I don't want the hurt and the pain it's going to go through, but I want the other side. And I'm saying, walk through this because it's God that's taking you through it, not not a man. And you're going to get the rest. Come to me. All who labor and I will give you rest. This is a promise from Jesus Christ himself. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm. This is amazing that the the ground for you coming is the fact that he's gentle and lowly in heart. He's not some taskmaster, not some demander making it horrible for you. Jesus, the one that offers the forgiveness, the one that you come and commune with is gentle and lowly. That's great news for broken sinners like me who need someone who's going to be gentle with me because I'm broken. And I don't want to deal with stuff. But I have the comforter. I have Jesus Christ who's gentle. And he says again, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's an amazing gospel invitation. So I want to invite that to you. Perhaps, in some ways, you find yourself hard-hearted like the Pharisees. Where you participate, but you hold on with shame and embarrassment because you haven't trusted that the gospel is big enough to take away all your sin. All your shame. And you kind of rest. But he's saying, come find Final, decisive rest. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. I'm going to pray. And as we go into our response, this is what I want you to do. It's a little bit different. Um, If today you want to talk, if you need to talk, the Lord's laying on my heart to offer this out. If anyone needs to talk about this final, decisive rest, You're carrying around. You don't want it anymore. Yes, I want this communion with Christ where I don't have to put on a mask with other people or him. I want you to come talk to me. I'll be back there at those little three chairs. I want you to come talk to me. We'll pray and we'll talk. Um, If you just want to think and pray and read scripture, I invite you to do that during this time. This is designed for you. If you've heard from Jesus, the God of the universe, for you to have this time to think and pray and respond. This isn't a quick turnaround where we're running out to lunch. You've got, you've got some time here to think. You've got some time to respond. If the Lord has spoken to you, use it. You've come face to face with God, not me, God. It takes a little bit of time to think and process and respond. Use that and stand in worship. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. I pray that my friends here would take up this great gospel invitation to come and rest and take on your yoke and find rest. 
Forgive us all, Lord, if we have moments where we are like the Pharisees. Hard-hearted, hypocrites, lacking mercy. We're more interested in doing than being. And Lord, we have not entered into this rest that you're offering. Be with us now as we worship. May we respond exactly the way the Holy Spirit's leading. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.